It is so good that every week at this time, it's like herding cats with you all to try to get you to relax. It means you are actually people around you. So this morning, we're looking at 1 Corinthians 12, uh, a couple of different parts in there as we continue to look at this brief series before Lent on community. Uh, Noticing that not only has Trinity planted three rivers a few years ago, and they're actually being particularized in just a month and a half, but we just planted Bartlesville, and so we've already sent off lots and lots of people from Trinity, and it's time to kind of focus in back on ourselves. It's a rebuilding year for us, and we want to make sure that we are in community with one another and look at what the Bible says about it. So this week, we're looking at how the Bible speaks of affirming one another's strengths. So if we're from 1 Corinthians 12, if you would please stand as I lead us in the reading of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 to 7 and verses 14 through 27 on page 10 of your bulletin. Hear now the Word of God. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. With our more presentable parts, do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please take a seat. Before we get started, I want to point out that the outline for the sermon is on the next page, page page 11, if you'd like to kind of follow along. But I want to ask you a question that I asked at the dinner table to my kids this past week. What was God doing 
before there was anything ever created. Before there was the world and the universe, before there were angels, what was God doing? Was he bored? Or even, how about this? What was he feeling? God has feelings. What was God feeling before there was anything ever created? Was he lonely? Did he have any needs? What was he doing? Take, take just a brief moment to think about that. We'll answer that question soon enough. But I want to say this, that the answer to that question actually gives us the very foundation for why we as Christians should be in community with one another. The answer to that question is the foundation for why we should be in community with one another. So to begin with, take a look at the the verses on page 10. Look at verses 4 through 7. What do you notice about this? One thing that jumps off the page, we all have the same spirit, verse 4, in the verse 5, but the same Lord with varieties of activities, but it's the same God. You know, while the Bible doesn't mention, not once, the word Trinity or triune, it's taught everywhere. Like even in today's text, it's talking about the Holy Spirit and the Lord, that is our King, Jesus. And when it speaks of God, most often refers to his Father. So before the Apostle Paul gives this body at Corinth, instructions for how to act as a church. He first draws their attention to the Trinity and how the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all at work in Corinth. And if we study Scripture closely, both the New Testament as well as the Old Testament, if we look carefully at Revelation 21 and 22 and Genesis 1, 2, and 3, what we'll find is the very reason for community is found in the nature of God himself. The theological reason for you and I to be in community is the triune God. The theological reason for us to be in community is the fact that God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit. So that is a major teaching. We just read it together in the Athanasian Creed. And if you're like most Christians, oftentimes that seems to be just as much of a problem as it is a solution. Because the Trinity is not like other things in Christianity, right? It's difficult to explain, especially to those who aren't Christians, who aren't familiar with it. You know, back when I was in campus ministry, I had the the real great privilege of having many, many discussions with Muslim students from Saudi Arabia who were there at Lehigh University as a part of an exchange program. So we would talk about God, and then I would play Xbox, FIFA, with them. That was the great exchange, God for Xbox. And one of the things that was interesting in our conversations, they could get most every doctrine in Christianity. You know the one 
that was the biggest blockade for them? The Trinity. The Trinity. And I thought, you know what? That's probably, if you're not raised in Christianity, you hear something like that and you go, that's almost crazy. Kind of sounds like polytheism. Kind of sounds like theism. Not really sure what to make of it. I mean, for some of us, the other things in Christianity make a lot of sense. Like, God becomes man in the person of Jesus, the incarnation. Okay, I can, I can get that. A perfect Jesus dies to pay for the sins of imperfect men? I got that. No problem. He rises again from the dead? Sure. Makes total sense. Only one God who has eternally existed in three persons. Not three gods, one God in three persons. It's a little more difficult. How do you explain that? For most of us, I mean, this, this is a big pickle that we typically don't even touch, really and truly. And so we try to figure out a good analogy. I just came across this analogy fairly recently, a couple of years ago. It's like, well, you know, God is like water in three forms, like solid, ice, and then liquid water, and then vapor. How many of you have heard that before? God is like water in three forms. You know, I've used that as an analogy, but you start pressing it, and it kind of gets ugly. So what is it like? Is it the spirit? Or, excuse me, is it like the Father is icy? And then you warm him up a little bit, and then finally he's the watery sun, and then when you really get him going, he's the steamy spirit? Right? I mean, that sounds a little ridiculous. Um. I can't believe I said steamy spirit. It's such a strange thing. Look, we can't expect the nature of God, the only uncreated thing that exists, to be as easy to understand as three forms of water. Does that make sense? Would you agree with that? So God's not like water. He's not like a three-leaf clover. He's like God. So what is he like? You know, to give us a picture of what he is like, I want to share something from C.S. Lewis. He, um, he, C.S. Lewis wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, and he also wrote another book called the Screwtape Letters. And the Screwtape Letters describe Christianity um, through a metaphor. So it goes like this. It's a series of letters from a senior demon from a senior demon, screw tape, to his nephew, Wormwood, who's only a junior tempter. So you see, there's different levels in the demon community. And screw tape is trying to help his nephew, Wormwood. And in this one letter, screw tape, the senior demon, writes this He says, One must face the fact that all the talk about God's love for men and his service being perfect freedom. That's not mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with lots of little loathsome replicas of himself. Creatures whose lives and their miniature scale will be like his. Not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We, you and I, we want cattle 
that we can find that can finally become food. He wants servants who can become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. What was God doing before he created anything? Take a look at this picture. I apologize for my hand-drawn ugliness. If any of you would like to be an artist and help me next time, what was God doing? Let me tell you what. He wasn't bored. He was not unfulfilled. He had no needs. There were no desires of his that were not getting met. Our triune God before all eternity was perfectly happy within himself. The Father was loving and exalting the Son. The Son was embracing that love and exalting in the Father. The Holy Spirit was stirring up the love between the Father and Son and Himself being the object of love between the Father and Son. If you don't have a triune God, look up there, what do you have? You have a God who is bent in on himself. You know, this is, for instance, the God at the top is the God of Islam. There are many surahs that say, do not refer to Allah as Trinity. And in the Quran, do you know why Allah created to have servants to worship him? How very different in Christianity when you have a triune God Why would a God like a triune God create? Because from eternity past, all he was doing within himself was overflowing with love to another. And so it makes sense then, if this God who has been ever overflowing with love to another decides to add another, mankind and creation. You see, our God is inherently outward-giving, outward-life-giving, not turning in on himself, but always pointed outward to share with us the very love that he experiences within himself, to share that intra-Trinitarian love. And you see, it's, it's why he created everything. It's in his nature to give life. You know, if, think about this, as we just continue to look at the picture. It's not like when creation happened, the Father became Father, the Son became Son, and the Spirit became Spirit. This is his self-identity for forever past. He was always Father, always Son, and always Spirit. What do you have to do to be a Father? You have to beget. Can I use that word? You have to beget. You have to have a child. Well, our Father is doing that. This is the, t- the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. I don't understand how that works. But He is eternally begotten of the Father, which means the Father, like you fathers in the room, you are life givers. Your wife did most of the work. Yes? 
Your wife did most of the work, but you're a life giver. She couldn't have had a baby without you. Our Father is an eternal life giver. So it makes total sense that, that he would give life to us. Because that's in his nature. It's not something that's added on top to the nature of God. It's very foundational to who he is. So this is how he is. And you see, this is why he created anything at all. And what it means for us, if he's a life giver, we are to be life givers. We are to be exalters of others. So if we're going to be like God, these many gods, we have to live in community with one another, not in a community. This isn't you have to live in Bailey Ranch or Stone Canyon. Real community, tight community, in which you love and serve and exalt others. That's the reason why this is so important. Because it's tied to the very nature of God himself. So then, what are the practical outworkings of this? At the very foundation for our community is the nature of the triune God. How does that practically outwork into affirming one another's strengths? And you can see there in the bulletin on page 11, we've got three different ones. The first way in community that we can affirm one another's strengths is by discovering that there is no single picture of an ideal Christian. There's no single picture of an ideal Christian. You know, as Christians, we don't want conformity to a particular ideal other than Jesus. That's the particular idea, ideal. When you come to Trinity, we don't want your life to look like Pastor Blake's or mine. This isn't Pastor Imitation Day. You know, it's not Pastor Imitation Church. I mean, look at the verses in the second half, uh, in verses 14 to 27. The Apostle Paul is going strong after this. No, you shouldn't all be hands. You shouldn't all be feet. You shouldn't say to each other, I don't need you. The Apostle Paul doesn't have an idea in which there is this singular picture for an ideal Christian. Not at all. And according to the passage, you know, if we all conform to an ideal, then we're all hands or all feet. And that's a problem. You know, you don't want a body in which you have feet as kneecaps or feet as hands. I don't want that for you. Okay? But think about it. How does a foot, how does a foot get to be a foot? I don't mean spiritually, I mean physically. How does a foot get to be a foot? Well, you have the baby in the womb. God creates the foot to be a foot, right? And then the foot, as well as the rest of the baby, is nurtured in the mother's womb, then later on with the mother's milk, and then later on with solid food. And it's wonderful to watch infants because there's a time in which they discover they have feet, right? The feet have been there, but the infants actually discover that's a foot or whatever it is. It's attached, and I can pull on it and suck on it. That's what babies do. (laughs) 
But then the infant learns that they can begin to do things with their feet. They can use their little toes to pick something up. They can even begin to stand a little bit and teeter. And then they begin to learn to walk. And as the child grows, the foot becomes an expert on being a foot. It's the life cycle of a foot. Now let's apply that to being a member of Christ's body. God has created you to play a particular role role or roles in the church. He's created you to be a particular part of the body. And so you're nurtured by the gospel, much like the mother's womb or milk, through the preaching of the word and the sacraments and through prayer to grow into a healthy member. We don't want unhealthy or deformed members. We want you to get all the nutrition and nourishment that you can. And then as you grow, you begin to learn what you actually are and how you can be utilized. Right? Everyone has a place in Christ's body. And there's no singular picture of what that looks like. You know, what happens when a foot doesn't realize it's a foot? When you can't walk anywhere, it's really ugly. Um, This is a... I think this is important in this particular culture because both in broader evangelicalism and in this area of Oklahoma, there are big-name pastors who have big-name congregations and big-name books. And there is a sense in which, whether they're saying it outright or not, they're saying, you, to be the ideal Christian, must be like me. And Jesus says, hogwash. Jesus is saying, I want you to be where you are in this particular way. My hand, my foot, my ear. Whatever the skin is on the elbow that seems not to serve any purpose. The Father wants you to be you pursuing Jesus. Okay, So that's the first thing. There's no singular picture of an ideal Christian. Second, how do we affirm one another's strengths? We celebrate that God works through personality. We celebrate that God works through personality. This has been particularly um, on my heart since I came on staff in August. My first day as a pastor at Trinity was August 1st. And Pastor Blake had planted the church and been here all by himself. And unlike God, he was lonely and he needed me. But if you have been around me and Blake, you will see that we are pretty different, right? Blake is thin. <laughs> I love it that y'all didn't even have to, like, I didn't even have to say anything. Um, he likes to drink this this drink called kombucha. Do y'all know who, what that is? Yeah, I'd rather drink ditch water. <laughs> He's typically very well dressed. I don't even know how to do that. I really don't. You know, he's an optimist, a very strong optimist. I'm a very strong pessimist. Um, when he preaches, he smiles and he seems happy. 
And when I preach, I look angry and upset. I'm not. And I'm trying to work on that. But the pessimist in me doesn't think it's going to work out well. (laughs) You know, really, really, the most important thing is that Blake and I are both born and raised Texans. Thank you. No. (laughs) No, no, no. No, no, no. You know what the important thing is in this analogy, in celebrating personality? I want Blake to first flourish in the way that God he created him. And he wants me to flourish in the way that God created me. I don't want Blake to be Scott. He doesn't want Scott to be Blake. No. Because God created us uniquely, a different personality for different reasons. I don't want him or any of you to be me. That's not good for the kingdom. You think the kingdom of God needs one billion Scott Mitchells? No, absolutely not. God's given you even a particular personality for a particular reason. Now, this is difficult, maybe, for some of us who are a little more high-strung. I know because I'm high-strung. I'm a little tightly wound, as some might say. For example, those of us who are very organized often have little patience for those who are scattered. But being scattered can be a good thing, and being organized can be a good thing. You know, extroverts, you need awkward introverts. Awkward introverts, you need extroverts. You, you analytical, rational folks, God bless you, you need feelers in your life. And feelers, you need analytical, rational folks in your life. That's how God's created the body. To excel at making the strengths known and uncovering the weaknesses. You know, we need to have a keen eye towards each other's personalities and rejoice that he's made us different. I need Blake and Mike and Stephanie and Lucy and whoever God brings to Trinity. I need them in the body of Christ because otherwise the body just doesn't look right without them. Okay? So because God's in charge of how we're created, we can celebrate that he works through personality. Okay? And then the third and final, how do we affirm one another's strengths? We endeavor to help all parts of the body become what God has created them to be. We endeavor to help all parts of the body become what God has created them to be. This is very subtle. And it is related to the previous two, that there's no singular picture of an ideal Christian and that God works through personality. The third one is what we're attempting to do is how can we help Garrett be the best Garrett possible? How can we do that? How can we endeavor to help all of you become what you were created to be in the body? It's almost like a calling, right? 
How can we do that? The first thing is, this sounds clearly obvious. We have to know each other. We got to know each other. I mean, if you come to worship twice a month, not a part of a community group, not serving, really, let me tell you, no one really knows you. You're not putting yourself out there. If you're coming to worship every week, and you're serving, and you're a part of the community group, and you never open yourself up, you never let the true you out, no one knows you. No one knows you. We have to make sure we're letting others know us, and we're really seeking to know others. We've got to make sure, too, that we're serving out of an abundance, that as we seek to have others encouraged and equipped to be exactly who God created them to be, we're not giving out of a dry fountain. It's hard for me to rejoice in seeing someone become exactly who God wants them to be if I myself am not getting refreshed from that ever-flowing fountain. If I'm not being encouraged myself through the Word, through just spending time with Jesus. And something else, how do we do this? We have to develop spiritual friendships. Quite frankly, to me, this is the most awkward. It is really easy to come here on a Sunday morning or to go to a community group and talk about football, talk about whatever you're talking about, hunting, talk about your medical issues, talk about moving, talk, you know, talk about everything. And Jesus never come up. Your walk with Jesus never come up. Having no one there knowing that you're struggling or that you're rejoicing or anything else. How in the world, brothers and sisters, are we going to endeavor to help each other grow if we keep, keep so much on the surface? You know, I think it was Jonathan Edwards that first used this phrase, spiritual friendships. How easy is it to pray with your brother? You know, how do you affirm them in their strengths in that? How easy is it to sit down and say, hey, I, I was just thinking of you and I wanted to share this verse just to encourage you. We haven't need to have an eye toward those things. But you know what? You know what the great thing is in all of this? Oh, you and I fail. But our God does not. You know, all of these things, no singular picture of an ideal Christian, God works through personality, helping all parts of the body become what God has created them to be. reason we can do that, because our triune God has already done it first. He has done it. You know, he embraces that the Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit. You know, even in our redemption, all three have had particular parts. You know, the, the Father set the whole thing in motion and called us and has called Jesus. The Son took it about on himself to redeem mankind. And the Spirit took it about to apply Jesus' redemption to individuals, 
you and me. And within the Godhead, he is still celebrating. The Father is celebrating that the Son has conquered sin and death. The Father is celebrating that the Spirit is at work to take sinners like you and me and give them life and bring them into the family of God. The Son is celebrating that the Spirit is doing these amazing things and that the Father is still in control. The Spirit saying, I am so happy that I get to do this for your plan, Father, and for your redemption, Jesus. I'm happy to roam about the earth and work in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Brothers and sisters, do you think that the Father bemoans that the Son isn't the Father? No. Do you think that the Spirit bemoans that the Father isn't the Son? No. He loves personality. He exalts personality within himself. You know, no member of the Godhead was ever created like you and I, but he wants us to be a picture of him because only there is there true love and joy and peace and affirming one another and our strengths. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this time. Thank you Thank you that you're not icy. Thank you that you're warm. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die, to sent the Spirit to open our eyes and bring to life those of us who are spiritually dead. And we thank you that because you are community, you call us to that, not as a command, but to fulfill the very thing that we are created to be. We praise you. And pray this in your triune name. Amen.